1: In Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an Mm AR-15. And that mother watched her bleed to death over the course of an hour. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47.
2: We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore.
0: Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm Mehdi Hassan, and we are back from our rather long and relaxing summer break with a very special episode of this podcast focused laser-like on last night's democratic debate. Who were the winners? Who were
2: the losers? Who embarrassed themselves? I know that the senator says she's for Bernie. Well, I'm for Barack. Let's be clear. I've actually never met anybody who likes their health insurance company. Well, do you think Trump um, is responsible
3: for what happened? And I said, well, look, I mean, obviously he didn't pull the trigger, but he's certainly
2: been tweeting out the ammunition.
0: When we took our summer break back in June there were a whopping 25 Democrats vying for their party's presidential nomination. Since then, six candidates thankfully dropped out. I wish more had as well. Though one new candidate joined the fray, the billionaire Tom Steyer, who you heard on this show earlier this year discussing Trump and impeachment with me. But he was on stage last night for the third Democratic debate, nor was Marianne Williamson. Thank God. There were only 10 Democrats on stage out of the 20 left in the fray. And it was the first time we saw all of the front runners, the big hitters, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris on stage together. Finally. So what went down? Who got the upper hand? Did Biden, the front runner, do anything to reassure those of us who think he's in decline and just isn't mentally fit enough to take on Donald Trump and the Republican Party next November. Later on in the show, I'll talk to former Obama advisor and now Pod Save the World host Tommy Vita about his take on the debate. But first, joining me now to chew over all of this are my colleague Ryan Grimm, DC Bureau Chief for The Intercept, and from New York, Alexandra Rojas, Executive Director of the Justice Democrats, the campaigning group that helped give the world Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, among others. Ryan... You and I just spent three hours of our life sitting here at the Intercept offices in Washington, D.C., watching that debate. Was it worth it?
1: Well, I didn't have anything else to do, and the, the company was great. So <laughs> so sure.
0: yeah. High, high praise for the sure. third Democratic debate on ABC. What stood out to you from this debate?
1: Uh, I think it's got to be uh, Castro going kamikaze style at, at, at Joe Biden, uh, and then Joe Biden, over the next few hours, kind of fumbling fumbling through his answers. You know, I'm talking about Castro, of course, uh, you know, questioning whether Biden was even able to remember what yep. he had said uh, a couple minutes ago, which gives permission to, to journalists to start talking about his mental acuity and his, and his apparent decline. Uh, you know, some journalists like us didn't need that permission, yep. and we're already talking about it, but uh, a lot of the others kind of do need it.
0: Well, let's let's listen to that clip, that exchange, because it was one of the major highlights of the night. Julian Castro, uh, former housing secretary, former mayor of San Antonio, going up against former Vice President Joe Biden. They both, of course, served in the Obama administration together on health care.
2: Barack Obama's
3: vision was not to leave 10 million people uncovered. He wanted every single person in this
2: country covered. My plan would do that. Your plan would not. They do not have to buy in. They do not have to buy in. You just said that. You just no. said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes ago that they would, they have, to they would, have, to would have to buy in. I, you said they would have to buy in. Are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? Are you forgetting already what you said just two minutes ago?
0: There was this sense, Alexandra, that some that he went too far. People were trying to scold. I saw Julian Castro on Twitter. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, I think that, you
4: know, there are a lot of He's popular within the Democratic Party, but I think Castro needed to do what he needed to do. He's polling at one percent. It was a calculated risk. And I think the sort of D.C. punditry class is going to say that that is not okay, Right. It's not within decorum. But I think that a lot of uh, young people and people that want to see a new generation of leadership and for us to take on, I think, politicians that have not gotten us to where we need to be as a nation as in within the Democratic Party, that it wasn't a big turnoff.
0: It's so weird, isn't it, Alexander, that, you know, on the one hand we're told that the Democrats want to pick a candidate who can take the fight to Donald Trump.
4: I know. But at yeah. the
0: same time we're being told, oh, but you shouldn't have a fight to pick that candidate, and that candidate might be upset if you're too mean to them on stage. In fact, it wasn't just pundits who were saying that. Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, who was on stage, uh, tried to kind of admonish Julian Castro.
1: This is why come presidential guys, debates on. are becoming unwatchable. Yeah. Yeah, this where, where reminds everybody team? of what they cannot Can stand about Washington. Can
3: Scoring I? points against each other, Can poking I? at each other, and telling each other that, that you're
2: my plan, your plan. Look, we all... Yeah, that's called a Democratic primary election. He, that's called an election. That's an election. That's an election. You know, this is what
0: we're here for. It's an election. Uh, I'm, with, I'm with Julian Castro there. I mean, the whole point of a debate is for people to argue. And the idea that that bit was unwatchable, I would argue that was the most watchable bit of the night. It's the bit that's going to be clipped and played again and again on cable news.
1: Right. The, this idea that you don't want to see people debate at a debate is absurd. Yeah. That's why you tune into the debate. <laughs> you're watching the wrong it's like you're show. You're watching a boxing match and look at these guys punching each other in the face. So oh, this is so unstable. It's the
0: primary. <laughs> it is the primaries, exactly. And uh, it's interesting that people like Amy Klobuchar, I don't know if you caught that bit, Alexander, where Senator Amy Klobuchar, who had just spent several minutes saying she didn't agree with Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders on Medicare for All, then saying, oh, a house divided is, what was what was the phrase she used, Ryan? A house divided. A house,
1: house divided cannot stand. Cannot
0: stand. This idea that, you know, we should, she, but they get to disagree, but no one should disagree with them, which I find- Except kind she's
1: it's also plagiarizing Lincoln, <laughs> and, and he was trying to uh, instigate a civil war. So, so she's getting
0: her references wrong. In addition so. to her jokes, by the way, yeah. was it just me, or did Amy Klobuchar every single one of her jokes just bomb tonight? Brutal. It was they were bad. Is there such a thing as mom jokes to go with dad jokes?
1: Yes, I think there she, are.
0: She is 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 in charge of that. Um, Alexander, just on the actual substantive stuff, healthcare. Bernie Sanders, who is the guy who wrote the damn bill, as he told us again tonight, didn't get in as much as we saw in previous debates. Did you notice that? Or was no, that I,
4: I noticed that, but I think I do think that you know Warren and Bernie are the most consistent on stage. And I think, you know, regardless if, you know, he wasn't able to talk as much, his message was consistent and clear. And you also saw that from audience members, you know, go on and say that they actually liked Bernie's healthcare plan and solution, because it probably had the most clarity, uh, and was actually willing to address some of the deepest problems. So I was disappointed that he didn't, get to speak as much, but I think it's also because he's got so much clarity in his message and, and did what he needed to
0: do. do. Do you think either, you know, you're with Justice Democrats, people are waiting to see, you know, we, you know in the past, uh, you would have been associated with Bernie Sanders, this time Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have, have energized a lot of people on the left in the party, and I'm assuming in your organization as well. Did either one of them do better than the other tonight? Did either one of them stand out more than the other for, for the lefties watching, do you think?
4: Uh, I... I didn't feel that way. I think that they were both really consistent on their message. I don't think it was the strongest debate performance for either of them. But to be quite honest, I don't think that was for very many people on stage at all. Um, And so of the folks that I think, again, had the most clarity and consistency in their message and talked about actually um, getting to the systemic issues that we're facing, it was clearly Bernie and it was clearly Warren. And I think particularly on healthcare, Bernie is this is his bill. Like you said, he wrote the damn bill. He's a lot stronger on it and he defended it. He went all out uh, tonight in doing so and I don't think that Warren did the same for Medicare for all.
0: And Bernie was very strong on one aspect of healthcare which often, get, often gets overlooked. Uh, how, how people get bankrupted by the system.
2: Not only do we have 87 million people uninsured and underinsured, you got to defend the fact that 500,000 Americans are going bankrupt. You know why they're going bankrupt? Because they suffered a terrible disease.
0: Ryan, one, prob- one point you and I discussed, and I'm sure many others did too, was when when Bernie did get to speak, didn't sound so good tonight. For a man who's kind of fending off accusations of you're too old to run, etc., you shout too much, he had some kind of sore throat, he didn't seem as usual, he wasn't on his A-game, I think it's fair to say.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, these kinds of things... Matter to voters. And, you know, polls have showed that, you know, a significant concern that voters have uh, uh, related to Bernie and Biden is their advanced age. And Bernie came out on stage, you know, ready to start swinging. And it seemed like he didn't hear his name get called. So they had to call him twice. And then uh, he has this incredibly hoarse voice. That you, where you just start feeling bad for him as you're yeah. hearing him talk, which is the complete opposite of what people want in a leader. And it's like, you know, that this has nothing to do with the substance of what he uh, represents, but that, that couldn't have started much worse for him.
0: The advantage he had, I guess, Ryan, is that he was standing next to Joe Biden. And sure, when you stand right. next to Joe Biden... Anyone can look dynamic, coherent, clear on top of their game. Biden tonight started off strong, I think was the consensus. He actually had some energy. He had some talking points. He had some put downs. That was hour one. By hours two and three, he was flagging and he was back to gaff machine king. Um, There was this moment where Lindsay Davis of ABC News, one of the moderators, who I think did a great job finally as a moderator asking tough questions of the candidates. uh, She put a question to him, which he dealt with in a rather odd way. Let's play that.
3: What responsibility do you think that Americans need to take to repair the legacy of slavery in our country?
2: Well, they have to deal with the... the, Look, there is institutional segregation in this country. And from the time I got involved, I started dealing with that. Redlining, banks. We have to make sure that every single child does, in fact, have... 3, 4 and 5 year olds go to school, school, not daycare, school. We bring social workers into homes of parents to help them deal with how to raise their children. It's not that they don't want to help, they don't want they don't know quite what to do. Play the radio. Make sure the television—excuse the, me. Make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. A kid coming from a very poor school, a very poor background, will hear four million words fewer spoken by the time they get there. There's Thank so you, Mr. much. Vice we- no, I'm, I'm going to go like the rest of them do. Twice over. Okay. Because- because here's the deal. The deal is that we've got this little backwards. And by the way, in Venezuela, we should be allowing people to come here from Venezuela. I know Madura. I've confronted Madura. Number two, you talk about the need to do something in Latin America. I'm the guy that came up with $740 million to see to it those three countries, in fact, change their system so people don't have a chance to leave. You're all acting like we just discovered this yesterday. Thank, Thank you, Thank Mr. You Vice much. President.
0: Joe Biden they're talking about record players in Venezuela when asked a pretty straightforward question about his own history of controversial remarks about race what was going on there what was that all about
4: I think it's a repeated pattern that Joe Biden is unable to own up to past mistakes that he's made in the past and I think part of leadership is being able to own up to those types of things and I think that you know he's proven to really struggle in and on the debate stage and I think you need a candidate that can go up against Trump, but also we need someone to just do, get through the debate and do well enough. And it's like, how long is that going to be enough to reassure Democratic voters at a certain point? They're going to want to see a frontrunner like Joe Biden, not just survive and struggle through questions wow. like that. At the end of the day, he's going to be on the debate stage with Donald Trump uh, and a basic question on you know, segregation, why is Venezuela coming up?
0: Alexandra, I know you have to run. You're doing lots of commentary on the debates tonight. That's a great question that you've left for me and Ryan to try and tackle on Biden and and why this is happening. Thanks so much for taking time out tonight. Thank you so much. Bye. Ryan, what I don't get here is lots of people saying this is ageism for Julian Castro to attack Joe Biden. This is ageism to say Biden's a rambling old man talking about record players in Venezuela. It's not ageism in my view. As someone who's spent the last two years pointing out that we really need to use the 25th Amendment to get rid of a president who is clearly mentally, cognitively unfit for office. How can Democrats really suggest that Joe Biden should go up against Donald Trump without asking questions about his uh, mental state, his cognitive decline that we're seeing in front of our eyes? They can't.
1: You know, and, and we had a situation like this in our politics in 1984 uh, where people uh, around Ronald Reagan you know, knew that he was in sharp mental decline heading into the election uh and some of the people around him have since expressed some versions of regret for for covering for covering for it uh do you think it,
0: people around biden are covering for him right now
1: you know i think at this point um they're not consciously covering i think they're they're still at a point where they can convince themselves that they're not covering for him but i think if by some chance he wins the nomination and wins the general election there we, we will absolutely see people's say in hindsight uh i should have seen the signs you know we didn't see this coming
0: and there was a moment where everyone on twitter took a break to go was that joe biden's teeth coming out did he lose control of his the teeth in his mouth and you might say oh i can imagine listeners to this podcast who are suitably highbrow and interested in substance might say why are they talking about teeth it's so irrelevant but yet trump world i believe is already circulating that clip shamelessly right, because Do- Donald Trump, of course, has his own issues with pronunciations and teeth and are they his own teeth and can he speak properly? But they're so shameless. They don't care. They'll go for Biden over anything.
1: Right. They know what lands and, and they are. The, the Trump world is already circulating this clip of of Biden's teeth apparently uh, dislodging from their position, their proper position inside his mouth. And he you can kind of see him replace them as he's as he's talking.
0: And I can hear people at home saying, why are you discussing this? Why are you giving ammunition? mission? But Hillary Clinton lost in 2016 because she had so many flaws, so much baggage, and we were told to ignore them and and and
1: focus on the substance. And she fainted after the 9-11 event. You know, these are... uh, And they used
0: it against her. Right. Outrageously, but they used it against her. These guys will weaponize anything. Why put a candidate like Biden up who has all of Clinton's cons and very few of her pros?
1: It would be nice if we uh, held debates on the pure merits, uh, but we don't. But on the other hand, is it fair to ask that the... Be the president of the United States uh, be you know mentally fit um, and 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 not a uh, sunsetting before our eyes. You know I think you know we're experiencing right now uh, what happens when you have a a, a, a cognitively challenged uh, p- president in the United States. The guy yeah. can't put together a sentence. Yeah. Um, and I and I spent 2016 watching. An ungodly number of hours of, of Donald Trump in the 1980s and 1990s, while while covering him, and he has declined. Mm. He, he had, you know, he, he he never really made a lot of sense, but he could but he could talk in complete sentences, and, yeah. and you could follow a con, con, coherent thread through what he was saying. That's not the case with him anymore. And and that's relevant to ask about I just him. Feel but the then Democrats, Democrats, are, Democrats right.
0: are kind of unilaterally disarming. They're taking away a weapon from their arsenal, saying this is a president who says dumb things, who rambles, who's not fit for office. Now, let's be clear. I'm not saying Biden is anywhere in Trump's league. Trump is sui generis. No one comes close to Trump, and he's not kind of serial fabricator or a, a sexual assault or all the other things that we know Donald Trump is. But to kind of offer Trump world that opportunity to kind of label Biden in so many ways, they've even right. attacked him from the left on race, and tonight he had another opportunity to kind of disown that. He didn't. He wanted to talk about record players instead. I would have liked to see Warren and Bernie go after him stronger. Do you think they didn't because they think it's easier for someone like Julian Castro to do it?
1: That might be. Um, Interestingly, the, the uh, Warren campaign put out a statement uh, just after the debate that that I just got that that uh, hints at it. Uh, one piece of it reads, Warren, quote, showed clear command over the facts. Uh, which, you know, shouldn't be uh, something that differentiates you yes. <laughs> on a stage of people that want to be president of the United States. Yeah. But f- I think for them to highlight that is is subtly making the point that uh, a number of uh, the others didn't have a clear command of the fact. I think, I think that might be right, that they were hoping that uh, Castro and some others would, uh, would do their dirty work because, yeah. you know, Warren has been the, the happy warrior. You know, she's had a sunny disposition through the campaign and she has seen herself... Uh, steadily rise, uh, so there are high risks and high rewards that come with uh, a, a blunt attack on on the front runner. Uh, you know, I I, th- I think she probably correlates some of her rise with her refusal so far to attack um, o- other Democrats. And if,
0: if you, you mentioned s- you mentioned that you know the people on stage, you want to be president. One thing I would say is that there are some people on stage who probably don't want to be president or don't know they're not going to be president, but they're right. running for vice president. And right, uh, Julian that's, Castro's that's, in that category. still a serious job. Serious job. <laughs> uh, especially if the, ca- the the person on top right. of the ticket is in their 70s. Julian Castro is definitely seems to be running for that gig. And Better O'Rourke, who's had a bit of a resurgence over the summer after the tragic event in El Paso, the terrorist attack there in his hometown, he had one of the lines of the night. And we were worried. You know, there was a...
3: upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next
0: order that's quince.com slash upgrade there was a there was a a, 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 people were wondering whether he was going to drop the f-bomb as he's done quite a lot recently (laughs) abc news told him he couldn't he decided to go with a milder profanity in order to take on the nra and the gun lobby
2: hell yes we're going to take your ar-15 your ak-47 we're not
3: going to allow it to be used against our fellow americans anymore
0: Beto, something seems to have happened to him. He's he's more energized. He's more passionate. And this is what a lot of people in the Democratic base want to see.
1: This is why I thought, uh, and you can knock me on my pundit points for this, that he was going to be a more credible candidate uh, for president um, because I covered his uh, 2018 race fairly closely. And this was the kind of thing that that he would do. Um, This is how he had those viral moments. And those viral moments were not... Um, un- unusual, the ones that you saw about him, you know, him talking, you know, uh, talking about NFL players taking a knee or, or police shootings or, uh, you know, that was who he was. He was just blunt. He was direct. Um, he was righteous. Um, and he was filled with uh, rage directed at the, the proper enemies. And you and you could see a path where that could be put together and, and uh, you know, formed into a, a viable candidate. Uh, it may be too late for him. You know, he met it. You know, he may have spent too much time uh, fumbling around with the Vanity Fair cover. And, and you know, w- once you have, uh, you know, dipped into the doldrums, that, ha- that that takes away what the Democratic primary voters want, which is for you to be a winner, for you to be somebody that can beat Trump. And so uh, looking like a loser for a couple months, uh, you know, undercuts that badly. But but tonight, yeah, we saw, what you know, the potential that, that he had.
0: Last question to you, Ryan. Where do we go from here? What happens now? Well,
1: wh- whichever of Sanders or Warren who can first kind of edge next to Biden and then ahead of him um, will have a huge first mover advantage and, and will then start to consolidate a lot of uh, support from the others' uh, base. As uh, there was a recent poll that said eight and 10 of them, eight and 10 Warren supporters would, would happily support Biden, I mean, uh, Bernie, uh, eight and 10 Bernie supporters uh, would happily support Warren. So if the left gets a sense uh, that one of them has a better chance of Bi- of beating Biden, then you could see a rapid consolidation. And it's not clear which of them will, will hmm. move in that direction. I think of Bernie and Warren, Warren probably had a, a better night, if only because of what we were talking about earlier with, uh, you know,
0: Bernie just looking a little bit old. And it's worth pointing out, when we talk about polls and Biden being the front runner, these polls can sometimes be rather meaningless. Back in the 2012 race, at this point in the cycle, uh, Rick Perry was leading Mitt Romney by 12 points. Uh, we okay. know what happened there. And back in the 2008 presidential uh, primaries at this stage, at this point, uh, Hillary Clinton had a 20-point lead nearly over Barack Obama. Yeah. And we know what happened to her. Ryan, thanks for joining me on Deconstructor and staying up late to talk pleasure. about the debate.
1: I had nothing else to do.
0: Joining me now is my good friend, Tommy Vita, founder of Crooked Media and co-host of Pod Save America and Pod Save the World. He previously served as spokesperson for President Obama's National Security Council. Tommy, thanks for coming back on Deconstructed.
3: Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: What did you make of the debate? Were there any particular winners or losers who jumped out at you?
3: Um, it was one of those funny nights where I felt like a lot of the lower tier candidates helped themselves out. Like I thought, Beto O'Rourke finally reminded people why they liked him so much during the Senate campaign. He took a, you know, bold stance on uh, race and reparations and guns, and it, it seemed sincere and it seemed real. I thought, you know, that a lot of people were talking about the the Castro Biden exchange, where I think Castro sounded a little too uh, nasty uh for the moment and i don't i don't know that it'll wear well overnight you know i thought amy klobuchar was pretty good warren is always good Amy klobuchar
0: was good with those like awful gags and listen
3: i groaned as hard as you did in the beginning but i thought she had some good answers uh near the end so i don't know it it was it's weird because these baits keep starting with like 35 minute back and forths on healthcare where we debate the merits of Medicare for all versus a public option. And sometimes it's hard for me to follow them. I wonder how much yes. they inform voters or move what, the ball.
0: Okay. So what frustrates me, Tommy, and what I want to talk to you about is that we have these presidential debates and Ezra Klein of Vox made a good point on Twitter uh, last night where he said, you know, they're all arguing about these healthcare plans. Congress will write the next healthcare plan, not the president. It, exactly. and, we, and we have these debates where president, you know, presidents cannot do that much, certainly not on their own, on the domestic scene. That's just a reality. Where they do have almost unlimited power, Uh, is in foreign policy. They have the power to nuke a foreign nation without congressional (laughs) approval. They launch wars, including your former boss, Barack Obama, without congressional authorization. And I just find it bizarre that in a debate, uh, this debate we had yesterday, uh, yesterday night, there's no discussion of Israel the week before the Israeli election, Mm -hmm. Uh, the week after Benjamin Netanyahu basically said he will annex the West Bank and end Mm -hmm. a two-state solution. Um, No discussion of Iran and nuclear negotiations at a time when President Trump might be meeting President Rouhani face-to-face at the UN Mm -hmm. in a few weeks' time. Uh, Were you as disappointed as I was that foreign policy plays such a little role, such a tiny role in these debates again and again?
3: Yes, it drives me crazy. And you brought up two great subjects that are very newsworthy. I mean, you mentioned how Bibi Netanyahu is saying he's going to annex the West Bank. I know that Bernie Sanders and I believe Pete Buttigieg have said that they would consider conditioning U.S. aid to Israel yes. if that happened. Everyone else should get pressed on whether they would, whether they agree or whether exactly. they follow suit. And yeah. everyone should be asked if they would get back in the Iran deal. I know that Cory Booker had expressed some reservations about getting back into the deal. He said he would try to renegotiate it. I'd like to understand why. I'd like to hear what people think is going on in North Korea and whether they're ready to call that negotiation a failure. There's so much we should talk about. And
0: how about the Russians? I mean, all we heard about for two years was Russian attack on American democracy, Uh, but no questions for any of the candidates about what they're going to do about that. One topic that did come up, well, a couple came up. Afghanistan came up briefly um, uh, and Iraq uh, Mm -hmm. came up in the context of Joe Biden. I just want to play this question and answer that happened with Joe Biden where he tried to explain his pro-war vote in 2002 uh, before the invasion in 2003.
2: The fact of the matter is that, uh, you know, I should have never voted to give Bush authority to go in and do what he said he was going to do. The AUMF was designed, he said, to go in and get the Security Council to vote 15 to nothing to allow inspectors to go in to determine whether or not anything was being done with chemical weapons or nuclear weapons. And when that happened, he went ahead and went anyway without any of that proof.
0: So I know a lot of people were laughing on Twitter about Biden (laughs) going on about record players in Venezuela. But for me, the Iraq answer was equally incoherent, rambling, weird, uh, a self-own, you know, talking about having voted for an AUMF and I shouldn't have voted for giving Bush the authorization to do what he said he was going to do. I mean, what about? I don't know about you. I was lost.
3: Uh, I just feel like it's It's 15 years too late to try to find some nuance in what you voted for when it comes to the Iraq War. You know, it's like uh, no one remembers, no one remembers that these guys said that they were trying to give Bush authorization to the UN to do more. Like, uh, (laughs) we've invaded, it was a disaster. We should have to apologize for it and move forward and say it was a mistake.
0: And also, you're being more generous than I am when you say nuance. I mean, for me, Biden's flat out lying. I, was, I remember that period very well. I've gone back and looked at the quotes. Uh, Andrew Kaczynski of CNN has gone back and pulled the quotes. There was no sense that he was just saying, let's allow inspectors to have access. He was saying at the time, we're going to have to go into Iraq. He just wanted to do it with allies. The only difference between him and Bush is he wanted to do it with UN approval and with allies, but he was always up for going in to disarm Saddam of these non-existent WMDs. Isn't its is it ironic? Is it funny? Is it weird that 20, 2008... When your man Barack Obama beat Hillary Clinton, Iraq was a big issue then. A few years ago, Bernie tried to make it an issue with Hillary Clinton. It definitely hurt Hillary Clinton again in 2016, both in the primaries and in the general. And now Iraq, this war that happened 16 years ago, uh, I'm glad that people are still talking about it because it was a crime. It was a disaster. is now hurting the front runner again, Joe Biden. Let's play Bernie Sanders bringing up the difference between him and Joe Biden on this.
2: You talked about the big mistake uh, in Iraq and the surge, the truth is the big mistake, the huge mistake, and one of the big differences between you and me. I never believed what Cheney and Bush said about Iraq. You voted against the war in Iraq and helped lead the opposition.
0: Tommy, do you think Biden 's vote on Iraq and the, and the way that Bernie's able to kind of differentiate, differentiate himself on this, do you think that's a going to hurt Joe Biden? as we carry on with this process? And B, should it hurt Joe Biden? Um, Look, I mean, I think
3: if you are making an argument about your foreign policy judgment and experience and you got the Iraq war wrong, uh, that should hurt your case, right? I mean, it certainly was damaging for Hillary Clinton in 2008. It's very hard for me to predict what voters will care about this time around. I spent four or five days in Iowa recently And it just felt like all anyone cared about or talked about was beating Donald Trump and electability. And even though none of us can define what that means, it just was all consuming, like punditry from voters when we should be focused on this.
0: And Donald Trump, let's not forget, despite having supported the Iraq War. Refashioned and rebranded himself as an Iraq War opponent, and just the other day was firing John Bolton and bringing up the Iraq War (laughs) to say, "Well, Bolton supported." So Trump will shamelessly attack Biden on this stuff. uh, We know that, Um, and you're right; it's about a broader question about foreign policy judgment, not about relitigating the Iraq War or getting into that detail again. But yes, he claims to be this great foreign policy sage. He seemed to be confused tonight about whether he had once advocated partitioning Afghanistan or Iraq, Uh, and there's that general confusion. In the midst of the confusion, my view, my word not yours. He does tell a lot of porcupines, some untruths. He said something about uh, the administration that you served in, something that happened after you left that administration, which was Obama's
2: border policies. When he was talking about Trump, this is what Biden said. Comparing this president to the president we have is outrageous. Number one, we didn't lock people up in cages. We didn't separate families. We didn't do all of those things. The
0: problem, of course, there for Biden is that, sadly, and the problem for a lot of Democrats who don't like to talk about this, is that Barack Obama, yes, he did not separate uh, parents from their children as a deliberate policy. um, But he did put kids in cages, those cages that we saw photos of during the crisis last year. Many of them were built and transported and set up during the Obama administration. How much is the Obama legacy? We talk about the Obama legacy helping Biden with Democratic voters who love Obama. But how much is it going to hurt him, too, when you hear Jorge Ramos uh, last night talking about the three million people deported? How much is that going to hurt Biden and the Democrats as a whole if you don't reckon with the whole Obama legacy, not just the good stuff?
3: It's a great question, Mitty. I mean, look, there's a whole lot of issues where uh, on their face you'd think that uh, any candidate could jump in and criticize the Obama-Biden record, right? Like, you could you could start talking about drone strikes and or, yeah. or sending more troops to Afghanistan. And those are uh, notionally areas where I think a lot of progressives would disagree with what Obama's record. The question I have is will people remember those specific policy areas or will they just remember Barack Obama, Obama fondly as the president who came before this one whom they liked at the time. And they, and they really like now uh, with the benefit yeah. of hindsight, you know? And so th- that's sort of been the challenge in all these debates. Like, People keep coming at Biden. They come in at his record on busing or on other policy areas, and nothing is stuck. It should have just sort of... The, the, the gains that people have made, like Elizabeth Warren, have seemingly come from other Tier 2 or Tier 3 candidates, not from Biden.
0: That's a fair point as well, especially about Obama. And, you know, this is a president who's now history will look back and see a president who was sandwiched between George W. Bush and Donald J. Trump, and he will look much the greater yeah. for it. Uh, that's the reality. Uh, just in terms of going forward now and coming out of this debate and where it goes next, we're still a long way off from Iowa and the first vote. Um, the polls are all over the place. I was just saying to Ryan, you know, you had uh, Rick Perry up on Mitt Romney at this stage mm-hmm. of the cycle in 20, in the 2012 cycle. Um, the fact that Biden's leading right now is kind of irrelevant. If you're Warren or Sanders in second and third place fighting for that progressive vote, if you were advising them, what should they be doing now to try and get ahead of Biden and be the, the left candidate that takes the lead on Biden and then consolidates that support?
3: I mean, I think, you know, what you want to do is organize, 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 build your infrastructure uh, and then get hot late. And what, you know, what will often happen is, you know, let's say 2004, for, exa- for example, Howard Dean was running away with the thing. He was seen as a frontrunner. And then that he and Dick Gephardt got in this back and forth that turned into sort of a political murder suicide, and John Edwards and John Kerry were able to shoot that gap. So, you know, I would want to be laying the groundwork. I would want to be uh, identifying all the precinct captains and doing the field work that I need. But I also would want to, specifically for Iowa, make sure that I'm your second choice if I'm not your first, because a lot of caucuses uh, will have precincts where because of the way the Iowa caucus math works, certain candidates won't be viable. And then the rest of the campaigns will be trying to encourage those individuals to come over to their corner and stand with them in an effort to get more delegates. So it gets complicated, but it also incentivizes positive campaigning in the state of Iowa, uh, more so than other places down the road. So that's what I would be doing now. And Warren, frankly, has been doing a pretty masterful job of that I think Booker has, too. They have a, a good organization. I think Biden's getting there. It took some time. And Mayor Pete is now pumping a ton of money. So it seems like all of them are, are building out their infrastructure.
0: And last question, Tommy. Is somebody on that stage, is somebody from that stage last night, one of those 10 candidates, gun to your head, assuming Beto O'Rourke doesn't take it from me, is one of those 10 people going to, <laughs> defeat, going to defeat Donald J. Trump next November? Yay or nay?
3: I don't know. I don't know. I'm terrified. I'm every day, every day I wake up horrified. Look, most presidents get reelected. Yep. That's, that's the history. But, uh, I also think that Donald Trump is you know, likely to be one of the most unpopular presidents to ever seek reelection. So hope springs eternal. Look, Betty, I, here's a question, right? It was, was 2016 an aberration because Hillary Clinton yes. was an institution of Washington that people knew and they did, uh, you know, Three decades of baggage coming with her. I, I don't know. I hope so, but
0: well, have got to work Well, hard. if it was, the Democrats should really put up an institution of Washington with three decades of baggage behind them <laughs> as their candidate in 2020. God help us all. Well, Tommy, thanks so much for joining us on the show.
3: Thanks, Maddie. Well played. <laughs> Talk to you.
0: Take care, mate. Good night. That was Tommy Vita from Crooked Media. As of today, Friday, there are 143 days until the first voting takes place in these Democratic primaries at the Iowa caucuses on February 3rd. So there's still a lot of time for things to change, for frontrunners to lose their front spots. But that'll require a lot more interrogation of these 10 or 20 candidates. And these debates, well, they just haven't been up to scratch. A debate is supposed to be... You know, a debate. People debating with one another, arguing with one another, disagreeing with one another. That's how you pick a candidate. When someone like Julian Castro actually does something that needs to be done, he goes after another candidate and asks some appointed question. Politicians and pundits are like clutch their pearls and pretend something outrageous just happened. Hold on. I thought this was a contest to pick a person to take on Donald Trump. Shouldn't they have tougher skins? Shouldn't they be prepared? I want to see more clashes, not less, more tougher questions, not dumb job interview style questions about what your biggest setback was, which wasted around half an hour at the end of the debate last night. Whether that'll change going forward, who knows? But these people are auditioning for what is supposedly the most important, most powerful job on Earth. They're literally going to be in control of nuclear weapons. So can we hold them to account, please? Can they start holding each other to account? Let's see. I'm not holding my breath. That's our show. Deconstructed as a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. Lital Mollard is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is the Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice, iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps new people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. It's good to be back. See you next week.